Welcome to Scandal Water, where the tea is hot and the conversation lively. Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale. Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears. Stories about the stage and screen and everything in between. So come on and join the fun. The curtain opens in three, two, one. Hey, Candy. Hey, Ashley. How are you today? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm good. What are you drinking today? I have a little tea. I am trying to turn into a tea drinker. I remember that from last time. Tea is my favorite. I am not a coffee drinker. I am a tea drinker. And today I have a, it's called Novel Tea, I believe. I got it from, for Christmas from my friend and the, my friend Bree. Hi, Bree. This one says, never judge a book by its movie. <laughs> That's perfect. Yes. And you have a very adorable cup to go Thank with you it. very much. And, and so is yours. Thank you. All right, what do you got for me today? Well, it's a fun topic today. Oh, I like fun. Yeah, in fact, a very upbeat. One might even say, happy. See what I did there? <laughs> um, so I want to start out by asking you, we'll just kind of lead into our topic as a matter of fact, what are some things that you might know, or if you're familiar with it, remember about the old TV show, Happy Days. Oh, I used to watch Happy Days. I loved it. I went through this thing as a teenager and probably still now where I loved all stuff from the 50s. Mm. And so I think, I can't remember if I watched American Graffiti first or if I watched Happy Days first, but I have somewhere in the basement of VHS just with lots of episodes of Happy Days. Oh, on that's there. awesome. Yep, yep. I would say when you say the word Happy Days, who you're going to think of is Ron Howard, but also Fonzie. Right. Fonzarelli. Yeah. Arthur Fonzarelli. I think I think the Fonz would have come to me first. Like if I were thinking of Happy Days, mm -hmm. I think I think the Fonz is who would immediately come to mind. Mm -hmm. Are there any other memories or characters that, that do pop into your head when you think about Happy Days? Gosh, it's kind of fragmented. You know, I remember the set. I remember the family units. Um, I know that the dad ends up doing cartoon work later where he was a voice of David the Gnome, because my mm. brother used to watch David the Gnome when he was a kid, and I remember it. That, that's a dad from Happy Days. Happy Days had a lot of spinoffs. Mork and Mindy came from Happy Days. That's Laverne right. and Shirley came from Happy Days. Mm -hmm. Chachi loved, or Joni oh, loves Chachi. Joni loves Chachi. That Absolutely. came from Happy Days. So it, it spun off a lot. It was big. It was big time. Yeah. So the reason I asked the question is because those memories uh, that you shared, those those characters that came to your mind, are exactly what would come to my mind as well. But the focus of this episode is something else that Happy Days inspired, which may not be as well known to everyone. Okay. Um, and that is the term, the very popular term, jumping the shark. Oh yeah. And I know yeah. you I know you know that Ashley. I'm yes. sure you're very familiar with it. But but hopefully not all of our listeners are and maybe maybe some people will learn something new today. Okay. We'll, we'll hope. Again, I'm, I'll ask you this before we jump right in. When you think of the term jumping the shark, mm -hmm. what does that bring to your mind? Well, I have seen the clip. I've never seen the episode. But I saw the clip and, well, I guess what you're asking is, what does it make me think of? And I think what it came to represent is a television show that overstayed its welcome. Mm. 
or that change direction kind of went into the ridiculous when they say somebody has jumped the shark or a TV show jumped. They've just gone from being something you want to watch all the time to something you'll just turn off. In the actual clip, it's like two minutes of Fonzie and Richie looking at each other <laughs> and then some really bad dialogue of, is he going to do it? Is he going to do it? And he's in the shorts and a leather jacket. <laughs> so you already know that this is wrong. And <laughs> something else that's funny is there's this little circle of floaties and somebody's like, do they think the shark is going to stay in that circle? Right. Like he's just going to stay there? Is the Fonz that magical? I think that's what I would think of. So I, I had never seen that particular episode, but I'd, I'd heard that phrase and I wanted to, I wanted to see what it looked like. And it was pretty ridiculous. And it sounds like you had a wonderful time watching that clip. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Your definition that you came up with sounds a lot like one of the definitions that I found. Because mm -hmm. that is the focus of this episode, is that phrase, okay. jumping the shark, okay. and where it, it comes from. That whole kind of the backstory. Okay. So we're going to dig into a little bit, not just about the phrase, but we're even going to get into a little bit of the Happy Days history here in just a little bit. Ooh, but, cool. but first, um, just to look at that phrase itself. I looked it up in the Cambridge Dictionary online, of course, mm -hmm. and um, it literally says, usually referencing television shows. Really? Okay. That's what it says. And then um, the, the actual definition says, to reach a point where something stops becoming more popular or starts to decrease in quality. And I think uh -huh. that goes right along with like your, your perception of, uh -huh. of that phrase. But then when I looked at some other sources, this is where we start to see that crossover. There was a, a freelance writer, Stephen Whiteley, in one of his articles. He says, the term is critical, most commonly used in reference to unsuccessful attempts at raising a profile or promoting something. More specifically, it suggests an act of desperation wherein something or someone is trying to hang on to relevance or popularity. Mm. So it's pretty negative. Pretty kind negative. Kind of like the Kardashians. <laughs> kind of like that. Okay. That's a great a example. A modern day, like they just keep doing things to stay relevant or, I don't know, I don't watch the show, but I would say that's who would come to my mind mm -hmm. as far as desperately trying to stay in the spotlight. Right. One last definition is... This is from Wikipedia, actually, that wonderful source. Mm -hmm. um, jumping the shark is an idiom used to describe a moment when something that was once widely popular but has since grown less popular makes a misguided attempt at generating publicity that instead only serves to highlight its irrelevance. And maybe this is just my perception, so you can jump in here and tell me if I'm wrong, but I almost see it also as kind of a turning point. It's almost like being able to mark this exact moment when that turn yeah, is yeah. taken, yeah. you know, and then from there on, it then becomes this decline and this movement towards being more irrelevant or more over the top, whatever gotcha. the case may be. But, but what I like about those other two definitions is that they moved us away from television shows because I thought it was super interesting that, that we're going to talk again about, as you've already said, how this originated from, from this TV show, this TV episode, but yet it has become so popular in our culture that when I was looking this up to kind of prepare for this episode, one of the first things I saw was this article in an automotive blog 
talking about how the 1981 Cadillac Cimarron, I hope I said the name correctly, <laughs> which was supposed to be this exciting new luxury car model for 1982, ended up being a huge failure, which resulted in this this big hit on the company's reputation. And so this this author of the automotive blog, The Truth About Cars, literally wrote this in his blog. Yes, if there was ever any doubt, GM truly jumped the shark with the Cimarron, and it led the way for what was GM's most disastrous decade ever, the 80s. And it goes on. But the point is... It's, it's taken on a life of its own. Right. We, we, we use it to talk about politics. We, we talk about cars. We talk about all of these um, different events that, that, that happen around us. And we use this phrase. So... How did it become so popular? Okay. Right? So so let's give credit, first of all, to the guys who coined it. Okay. okay. So going back to 1985, we had a little fella, John Hine, sitting in his college, you know, dorm, whatever, with Sean Connolly. Not sure if they had a dorm or apartment, but they were college roommates. I know that. <laughs> so um, they were sitting around, they're roommates from the University of Michigan, and they were discussing with some other friends their favorite TV shows that had gone downhill. Sean suddenly offers the example of Fonzie jumping the shark on Happy Days. And the others agree. This kind of got the friends going. And they started using this phrase a lot within their own kind of personal conversations. And then a few years later, John started a website that was dedicated to identifying when popular shows jump the shark. So his his internet site, of course, took off popular, you know, popularity. Um, Is it like jumptheshark.com? I'm not sure if it's jumptheshark.com, but if you look it up, it pops up. And is this the guy that made the website? Is he the one that coined the phrase? Yes. Oh, cool. Yeah, it is John Hine. And it's, he's since written a couple of books as well, where I think he's kind of, uh, you know, wrote on the, the little, what's that phrase? Coattails. Coattails. Thank mm -hmm. you. So he's really, he's made some inroads with his jump the shark phrase there. That's where it, it came about way back in 1985. And of course, we're still using it a lot today. Let's go, go back and let's talk about happy days. Before we get to the actual episode, a little bit of history. Are we good or do we want to take a little break first? Let's take a break. Having listened to Ashley and Candy on Scandal Waters' episode regarding War of the Worlds by my great-grandfather Orson Welles, I was impressed. The way that Granddaddy Wells was portrayed was detailed and spectacular. As he would say, If you want a happy ending, that depends, of course, on where you stop your story. And if I ended this right here, you'd think I was actually related to the man. Okay, so I'm not actually a descendant of Orson Welles, but I am a huge fan. So much so, in fact, that I named my own audio drama after his work, Mercury Theatre Podcast. I'm John Badger from the modern-day version of Orson Welles' Mercury Theatre on air. If you want to listen to the equivalence of an audio movie, give Mercury Theatre Podcast a listen. And we are back. All right, we are ready to talk a little Happy Days history. So Happy Days, um, if you're not aware was not only hugely popular, it was long running. Mm -hmm. Did you know that it went for 11 seasons, actually? I knew it was really, really long because the because they got so much older. And I think that was part of it is the wearing out of the welcome is because they got so old and they didn't look like teenagers anymore. Mm. And what is the story going to be? And that kind of thing. I knew it was a long time. I didn't know it was 11 years. Yeah. It was from January 15th of 1974 to September 24th of 1984. But it had a really shaky beginning. 
actually, you may know this too, but but it was um, sparked by a segment on the TV show Love American Style. I did not know that. And the original title was Love and the Television Set. Gary Marshall was the creator of the show, um, but Thomas Miller was the TV producer. And it was Thomas Miller's upbringing in Milwaukee that was the basis for Happy Was it set in Milwaukee? Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. okay. Put, put Milwaukee on the map. He said that, this was in an interview that Thomas Miller conducted, he said that he was basically the character Richie and that Marianne Ross, who played Richie's mom, basically was kind of recreating his mom. Oh, <laughs> yeah. that's sweet. So they pitched the pilot to ABC and ABC passed. But oh, then they passed. They passed. Oh. But, but you, you've, you've been doing a lot of foreshadowing here, Ashley, I don't, without even, even, knowing even it? realizing it. Because George Lucas... Star, oh, okay. The Star Wars, George uh-huh. Lucas, he saw the pilot. Okay. And he loved Ron Howard, which caused him to cast Ron Howard in his movie, American Graffiti. No kidding. Okay, so American... So, what? okay, then what came first, chicken or the egg? Did we see American Graffiti first, or did Happy Days come out first? The pilot had been filmed, but it had not been aired. Okay. He saw Ron in the pilot, Okay. cast him in American Graffiti. And wasn't... Cindy Williams, his girlfriend in that? She was. Oh, I think you're right. Yeah, and then she went on to be his girlfriend on Happy Days. That is so true. Mm-hmm. And then, is, of course, was in the spinoff that you mm-hmm. mentioned. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, because American Graffiti was such a huge hit, and um, Ron Howard got that great buzz, this actually is what Picked caused ABC to give the pilot a chance. Okay. Yeah. Of course, by then they had changed the name. Now it's Happy Days. And what was it before? I forgot. It was Love and the Television Set. Oh, oh, okay. So Love American Style, it was on, I thought that was a segment on Love. It was, it was just a little segment on Love American Style. Okay. And then, but it had this title. Okay. 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 Yeah. So the premise was that it was going to follow this Cunningham family Mm -hmm. and their friends as they lived their normal lives in the 1950s in this hometown of Milwaukee. The character Richie Cunningham was clearly meant from the very beginning to be the central character. And yes. then, of course, they wanted Ron Howard, who was the big star. He was the main star. Right. Um, even before American Graffiti, of course, he had he had a reputation. He had a fan, fan base from yeah. Opie yeah. on the Andy Griffith, Andy Griffith show. Excuse me. Arthur Fonzarelli, the Fonz, was supposed to be a supplementary character. When did he come in? Was he in the episode first episode? I don't know if he was in the very first episode, but I believe he was. Okay. But he was hired with the understanding that he would be in seven out of every 13 episodes. Wow. But they quickly figured out that... He was the draw. He was the draw. Mm. Um, so his popularity skyrocketed, and they changed that. If there's anybody out there who's never seen Happy Days, here's a quick little little side note about Fonzie. He was um, this tough guy in the show. He was a character who rode motorcycles. He was a womanizer. You always saw him with a comb that he pulled out of his back pocket, and he would comb through his greased back hair. His catchphrase was, ooh. <laughs> yeah, nicely done, actually. It was actually a little controversial. The TV executives were concerned that Fonzie's character had a bad image, and they thought that the motorcycle jacket made him look like a gang member, like made him look very too tough. Mm-hmm. And so there were complaints, and Gary Marshall and the show's producers got around this potential ban on, on this leather jacket and, and his look by making the argument 
the, the, the motorcycle jacket was, was because he was being safety conscious. Oh my goodness. <laughs> he, he would not want him to ride his motorcycle without a jacket because that would be unsafe. Oh golly. Okay. So they, they made the ruling that he could wear the motorcycle jacket only when the motorcycle was shown in the same scene. Which so, is why the motorcycle is inside. In every, yes. Okay. <laughs> so that is why you now see every scene has his motorcycle, motorcycle jacket and the motorcycle. And of course, his motorcycle jacket became so iconic that it's actually in the Smithsonian. Wow. Yeah. I bet it's tiny because I think he was a tiny guy, wasn't he, he? He was. Yeah. Yeah, he was a small guy. Bonzi was supposed to be the supplementary character. The Cunningham family was supposed to be central. Richie, Ron Howard, was supposed to be the huge star. But... Of course, it took this big turn when the Fonz became so popular. In fact, it was kind of a reversal of the original vision. It, it, it turned into this show with Fonz as the central character, and then Richie Cunningham kind of became his sidekick. Yeah, and I, I think that was the misstep. I really do. I think that was it was a good idea in, in their heads in the moment, but I think that's ultimately what led to the jump the shark. I think that Fonzie was supposed to be a side character, and I think he should have stayed a side character. Mm -hmm. Because the main character was the family. There's more stories there, but they played to the public, and the public is kind of fickle. They're going to love it until they realize there's not a lot of substance. You can't mm -hmm. tell a lot of stories. You're going to have to put him in more and more ridiculous scenarios. Like, I remember, he almost became magical. Like, he could snap his fingers and stuff would happen. It, there just wasn't enough there. There wasn't, but you could have had plenty of with a teenager growing up and his family, and there, it could have been a lot of, I mean, the Simpsons, for heaven's sake, have been going for 30 years, and they just have talked about the same family. The kids haven't even aged, mm -hmm. and they haven't run out of stories, because they've kept it to the Simpsons, that family. Yeah, I would 100% agree with you, and I think mm -hmm. the word that's stood out to me from from what you said was the word substance yeah the Fonz might have been more flashy or more you know playing for the laughs or for the kind of the gimmicky side of mm -hmm. it but the heart and the stories and the depth really could have come from, from the following family. from that yeah from following that family I think a lot of tv shows kind of made that mistake I can think of um, there's a couple other shows like Family Matters was supposed to be about the family and Steve Urkel came mm -hmm. on there and he became the one everybody loved. But again, it kind of shot itself in the foot because there's not a lot you can do. He's got one thing he does. Did I do that? I mean, how many times can you put him in that situation where it becomes old? Right. Or there was a show that Brian and I really love, Raising Hope, which was about this family raising this little baby and eventually it became more about the mom and the dad because they were more entertaining and the central character of this son raising the daughter, they kind of married him off and put him off to the side. That's not what your story is. You need to stick with your story and keep your people that are the kind of like the icing or the glitter and let them be what they are and flavor the episode, but they're not the main ingredient. Absolutely. 100% agree with what you just said. So so moving back, there were a few other changes too. Um, some of you who are, are Happy Days fans may remember that there was a brother, Chuck, who started in the show and then kind of just disappeared from the storyline. I story did not line. remember that. Yeah, it was so short-lived. Like mm. he was almost just a flash. But it was, as you said, uh, that, that change in the vision that, that had the greatest impact. It just mm -hmm. totally derailed their original intent. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, Happy Days became an incredible hit. Yeah. I mean, it was huge. Yeah. So the American public did love it, whether yeah. it had substance or not. Yeah. Um, and as you said, it spawned those three spinoffs, Mork and Mindy, Laverne and Shirley, Joni Loves Chachi. Everybody was thrilled with the exception of Ron Howard. 
I imagine so. <laughs> who, was, who was understandably hurt. Um, it was kind of interesting. I read a, a little piece of an interview that he did years later, and it said that Ron Howard and Henry Winkler, who played the Fonts, had become immediate friends. They, mm-hmm. they got along great. I've heard Henry Winkler is one of the kindest, nicest people in Hollywood. 100%. That's, that's exactly what I saw in everything I read and, and everything that I've heard over the years. And they had a big, huge age difference, too. Like, Henry Winkler was 27 when that show started. Ron Howard hadn't even yet turned 20. Oh, really? So he actually was a teenager. But just think about it. If Henry Winkler is 27, that means he's 37 playing this mm-hmm. greaser guy. Absolutely. The two actually are still tight friends to this day. Yes, they worked on Arrested Development together. That's right. Mm -hmm. And uh, Henry Winkler is godfather to Bryce Dallas Howard. Did you know that? I did not. No. I thought that was pretty cool. But it said when they started Happy Days together, even though Ron was the bigger star, he looked up to Henry uh, Winkler. Henry Winkler, I don't know if you know this, he was trained at the Yale Drama School. I did not, no. They really connected. They bonded. Mm-hmm. They talked acting and life and all of that. When this this kind of shift happened, they had a conversation one day. They had a heart-to-heart. And Henry Winkler just straight up asked Ron if he was okay with the change in the direction of the show. And I thought this was so big. I have so much respect for Ron Howard. It said um, in the interview that Ron shared that it was difficult, but that it was best for the show and for his friend. And so he accepted that and, mm. and, and he knew that that was the I'm way it should be. I'm glad it didn't affect their friendship. Yeah. That's really good. So just to kind of summarize, by the time Happy Days was approaching its fifth season, which is where this episode is going to come in. This, oh, really? This was only the fifth season? They the went on for another six seasons? Exactly. Which is a huge point that's wow. going to come back up. Okay. But this show was like part of that weekly lineup that people just waited for every week. And the Fonz was a household name. I mean, mm-hmm. he was massive. So the episode. The episode, as you just pointed out, was very, was pretty early. I mean, this was... I was, thought it was toward the end. It was part of a three-part premiere yes. of season five. Brian told me this. He said that part of... Because I, I asked him about that. I knew the title of this episode, so I asked him what he knew about it. He said, not only was it this ridiculous concept, but it was a two-parter. So they ended <laughs> it where you didn't know if he had actually <laughs> jumped the shark or not. Ooh, the suspense. Yes, the terrible suspense. The terrible suspense. Emphasis on terrible. <laughs> But this particular episode aired on September 20th of 1977, wow. and it was called Hollywood Part 3. So it was three episodes? Yeah, three oh part. Gosh. Three part. Okay. So the premise was that Fonzie had gone to Hollywood. He was being scouted to become a star, oh along with the Cunninghams, who um, were there for support. And of course, you know, Ralph and Potsy had to come, too, because, you know, they, they might impress the movie scouts as well. <laughs> and then somehow, somewhere along the way, Fonzie gets challenged to a water skiing contest by the obnoxious local hero, the California Kid. And, of course, the Fonz cannot turn down a challenge, right? Mm -hmm. That was something that you knew if you watched the show. Specifically, he is challenged to jump over a tiger shark that has been confined in a netted area. Oh, okay. So it was it was area. netted. Okay. Yes. okay. Well, I mean, what he's shark can get out of that. a net? <laughs> Ashley, come on. So in the scene that you can easily find on YouTube, those of you who Which are I just did. dying to get out there and find it, you see Arthur on the skis. Arthur Fonzarelli. He is wearing swim trucks, as Ashley said. He has his white T-shirt though and his signature leather jacket. Richie is driving the speedboat. 
And as he's you, not even wet. He doesn't even get wet. But he's got a great smile. He does. <laughs> and uh, Ralph, Podsey, and the Cunninghams are watching nervously as Fonzie skis towards the area where the tiger shark is confined. And you hear, as you said, Richie calls back, you know, the, asking the Fonz if he's sure he wants to do this. And Fonzie gives the thumbs up. And then Richie drives Fonzie over towards the ramp. And that's where we see the big jump occur in slow motion. And of course, the Fonz safely lands, having cleared the shark, and everybody goes wild. So in an interview Henry Winkler gave for the Archive of American Television, it was about eight years ago, he shared that the inspiration for the episode came from his dad. Really? Yeah. He kept insisting that since Henry was such a great water skier, they should do the storyline about this. And so Henry um, shared in an Oprah interview that, that he not only water skied himself, at one point in his life, he actually gave water skiing lessons at a summer camp. So okay. like this was something so he, he actually could do. Yeah, he could actually do this. So he did tell the, the TV execs and they, they wrote this episode around it. And so we can blame him. He can blame himself, basically. <laughs> he, can blame he has himself. no one to blame. <laughs> no one to blame but himself. Exactly. And, but it said that Henry Winkler went on to comment that although the plot event did give rise to the phrase jump the shark, he said exactly what you said. Happy Days went on to stay number one in the ratings. Not just stay on top, but number one in the ratings for something like six more years. Wow. So, like, in his interview, he kind of eye-rolled a little bit. Mm -hmm. He's like, you may say jump the shark, but... It didn't. Hey, mm -hmm. not as far as the American public was concerned. Mm -hmm. Ron Howard also discussed it in an interview, again, for the Archive of American Television. And, and he admitted, I love it, that... that he would, of course, take like the writer perspective and the director, and the director perspective. perspective. Uh -huh. And he said, although from a writing perspective, it really was a bit of a jumbled mess. He didn't remember feeling any concerns. He 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 said Jaws had been out just a few I years was, before. I was thinking that, that it had to have been also influenced by Shark Frenzy. Absolutely, 100%. He said that, so even though the idea seemed a little ludicrous, that was his word to everyone, he also could see how it would make a really fun episode and a great stunt. I mean, it was just kind of gimmicky. Mm -hmm. I thought this was interesting. He pointed out that it was Donnie Most, the guy who plays the character Ralph, who he remembered being really upset about it. He pointed out that it was a really kind of gimmicky. And um, reflecting back now, Ron Howard notes that Donnie was perhaps the only one who really had a sense of the direction the show was taking. Like Henry Winkler, Ron pointed out the show went on to be a massive, massive success for years, but he he saw that they went maybe a little too far in that one mm -hmm. episode, that maybe it was... Ron saying over, this or Donnie? This is Ron. Okay. He says they maybe pushed things too far in that episode, but he says, quote... But a lot of great work was still done after that. And it mm. went on to remain very popular. So I thought it was interesting to hear what they had to say about it. Yeah, that is. And that's kind of where it ends in terms of happy the, days. the story, the okay. happy days. I thought it was interesting what they said. 11 years, if we go back to our definition, if this is supposed to be the moment where it took the turn yeah. towards becoming... The decline. The decline, right? Like this is the peak of the roller coaster. Now all of it's downhill from here. Okay. So I thought I would ask you, you know, we like to have kind of our armchair psychologist moments, That's actually. That's right. Armchair psychologist. The only way to not jump the shark, right, is to be more short-lived, wouldn't it? I mean, to go out on top, yes. correct? Yes. So is it better to go out on top and never jump the shark mm -hmm. or to take the chance of jumping the shark and have a hit for 11 years? I, I tend toward shorter and 
complete story. So I preferred that. I That's one of the reasons I really like British television is they have in mind, like one of my favorite series is The Durrells in Corfu. They knew it was going to be four years. They wrote for four years and they had a complete story in four years. So I think the storytelling is better. Another thing that could have been good, but I, I feel like I don't even couldn't even tell you when I have lost the show lost. When Lost came out, I loved it. I couldn't I wait too. to tune in every single week. And then when the first twist came where they had gotten off the island and we were figuring that these were now flashbacks and then this next season it was flash forwards and then it just got crazy. Then they were killing people just to have audiences tune in and you just, you it, there was no, it felt like there was no structure. Mm -hmm. So I think they started playing to the audience instead of sticking to their story. And I think that no matter what, you need to stick to your story. The the show's Shit's Creek just closed, and they were at the top of their game. They were six seasons in. They all just won. What, they sweep the Emmys? They did. They, every one of them got a mm -hmm. Best Actor, Best Actress. They, they got all six Emmys, and they still said, we knew we wanted to tell this amount of stories. We wanted to leave when we were on top. I think it's better to leave when you're on top than to overstay your welcome. I agree with you. In fact, Schitt's Creek example is perfect, but I would add another example. The Queen's Gambit. Have you seen it? I have not, but it's on my list, and it, but it's getting rave reviews. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so I won't give any spoilers, but okay. I will just say to you, it's a it's a one-season thing. I mean, it's it's just... It's so it's like what used to happen in the 80s before we had cable. They had miniseries. The Thornbirds. Remember the Thornbirds? Mm -hmm. It was a miniseries. They had one story to tell. This is how many episodes we're going to tell this story in, and our story is done. Let's tell another story. Right. So that and I just like that better because I don't like in this in in our world of binging. I don't I have this I don't I don't even know what psychologically you would call it, but I don't like to stay with the same story for years. So Downton Abbey, you know, they had eight episodes or whatever. I loved that. Okay, only eight episodes in a season. We can get through this. We can see all of this. But if you're looking at watching Seinfeld or Cheers or Frasier or any of these shows that went on for decades, I don't want to watch that. I don't want to commit to that amount of time. I mean, it may be, they may be in great shows and they were. I saw the episodes occasionally, but they were just standoff. You know, mm -hmm. I feel like you could just watch an episode and you don't have to see all of it. But the things like Downton Abbey that built on each other and there was a story being told, that's what I prefer. Agree with you wholeheartedly on some points. I, I think I see one little piece a little differently. Okay. Uh, first, just to kind of go back to the Queen's Gambit, I will say that the acting was marvelous. I saw a preview and it looked really good. I mean, amazing acting, such a unique script, Is so it well done. Um, she sounded British. Maybe it's not. That's funny. Why won't I? Why can't I remember that when I sat and watched the whole thing? I don't think so. Okay. Even despite the fact that I could not have loved it anymore, I literally said to, to a different friend who had, we were discussing it because we'd both watched it. Anyway, I literally said, I am so glad they made the decision to let this end because anything else would take away from the power and the impact. As much as I love these actors and this mm -hmm. storyline, it is done. Mm -hmm. It has its closure. It's perfect the way it is. Mm -hmm. Now, on the flip side, I did watch Downton Abbey all the way through. So I understand how sometimes as a committed fan of a show who has grown to love characters. You just want to see them. Like I was willing to stick it out mm -hmm. even sometimes through a season that was weaker mm -hmm. or through mm -hmm. sometimes episodes where I was like, are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. Or arcs that were just ridiculous because 
sometimes they bring it back or mm -hmm. I just wanted to know what was going to happen. Yeah. So I do understand that faithful viewer yes. perspective as well, but I'm, I'm a little torn, you know, I guess, mm -hmm. I guess in that way. No, I follow you. I, I agree with that. There were some episodes where I think it was maybe, I don't even think I was halfway through the first season. My mom had recommended it to me and I was listening or watching it. And I thought, this is just a soap opera. This is just an old-fashioned soap mm -hmm. opera because some of the stuff that was happening, I thought, this is ridiculous. And I, <laughs> then I realized, oh, it's a soap opera. And then everything sort of fell into place and I could accept it better. Because when I first started watching it, I was under the impression that it was a legitimate drama. And then, no, <laughs> it is not. It, it is, is not. It's a, it's a soapy, soapy soap opera. That's right. But I'm a humongous fan of The Office. I right. love Jim and Pam. Jim and Pam. I watched that in real time. And after Michael left... I, under, I, 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 I get why you want to keep doing it. You love each other. I listen to the Office Ladies podcast now. The thing I'm struck with the most is how close they all became right. and how much they still love each other. But I don't think it should have gone on after he left. He was the main character. It, it would be like taking Richie or Fonzie or whoever became the main character out of Happy Days and taking them out of the show and then trying to still tell stories. I think that you make a good point. <clears throat> there are two things that to me, I'm not sure if these would definitively be jumping the shark moments or if they're just desperation acts that I can identify, but but two two moves that seem to spell the beginning of the end are when they lose a major character around which the whole show revolves and then they just try to keep going. Like I did not watch this, but you have a show called Roseanne and you take Roseanne out of it, but you want to continue the show. That yeah, doesn't why? seem to make sense. It doesn't. And then uh, the other is when they suddenly bring on a character, like usually a child, yes. to try to save the show. Cosby show, Raymond right. Simone. I mean, you could say it time and time again. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think of family, not family ties. Oh, goodness. There's a lot of family. Family Matters, yeah. Family Ties. The one that had oh, Alan Thicke and Michael Ke Michael nope. Michael J. Fox. Michael J. Fox. That was Family Ties, I believe. Oh, no. I'm thinking of Growing Pains. Growing I'm thinking Pains. of Growing Pains. They brought Kurt in... Cameron. Yes. Wasn't Leo a, DiCaprio brought Yes, in? they brought in Leo DiCaprio. That's right. Yeah. The Brady Bunch brought in Cousin Oliver. I mean, just craziness. <laughs> so, craziness. So. Yeah. And a lot of it, too, is once your characters age out of it, you need to end it. Like with Happy Days. These people are going to grow older. The Simpsons, they don't have to because they're cartoons. But you now have a 37, 38-year-old still playing a teenager. Were they getting older on the show? I don't remember. Do you remember? I don't think they were aging much. if okay. Not to that extent. But no. you're going to start seeing the age on the people. I remember Castle. I love the show Castle. A tremendous amount and I was so bitterly disappointed in the end of that because they decided to fire Stan Akatic. Oh. She and Nathan Fillion were not getting along mm -hmm. and they just decided well we're just gonna write out she's half of the show. Right you can't do that. No you can't and I think the other cast members I don't know if Nathan did but the other cast members said if you fire her you're gonna have to fire us. And so they just very quickly, instead of it being a season finale, turned it into a series finale. So they did the show up until a certain point, and she's sitting there. They're both they've both been shot by the bad guy, and they're bleeding out. The last thirty seconds, they do this quickie little. They're happy at their kitchen table with their kids, and they just wrap it up. Ugh, yeah, it was terrible. That's a disservice. It to the really was viewership, and it had been six seven years i think maybe even eight years that they've been developing these characters and you just loved them you loved everybody and just because of that wow 
Well, before we wrap up, I was wondering if you thought it would be fun to briefly talk about, to see if we could identify a few moments where we think some of our shows jump the shark. You sure. specifically mentioned The Office mm-hmm. and the other one you mentioned, Downton Abbey. You named the moments where you thought they jumped the shark. What did I say for Downton Abbey? Maybe you did. No, I said Lost. Oh. It was Lost where they just, I think the... The flash sideways. I think that whole last season was just one giant shark jump right. to me because it just it just seemed messy. I didn't like the way we didn't see the relationship build between Sawyer and Juliet. There was just a lot of problems yeah. for me. Yeah, The Office. I was reading, and of course, doing some little bit of research for this episode. I was reading something where the I cannot tell you which which article it was I can't give you the source but somebody had identified what they felt to be the jumping uh, the shark moment from the office and they said it was when Pam and Jim got married you think so I guess it would be the moonlighting effect right you want your romantic couple to be at odds with each other but that also gets on my nerves because then it becomes impractical so that's what happened with Castle so everybody thought once they got together that it was going to be it was going to be the end of the show Mm -hmm. because that's what ended moonlighting and maybe we can talk about that one day is in my opinion it only got stronger because now we don't have that will they or won't they you can have that will they or won't they for maybe one season maybe two but then it gets to be like come on guys right get it together or don't and then once they got together they were able to just have normal couple issues and then they just changed the trajectory and i thought it was fine Right. I actually agree with you. This was not me. This was the, a writer yeah, who yeah. identified that moment. I think that's a writer issue. Mm-hmm. When they started dating, the show stayed just as sharp. Mm-hmm. They were together. Mm-hmm. I, it was just as clever. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it when they started dating. I, did I had no issues at all. I think that if if their storylines grew weaker once they became a married couple, that's the fault of the writers. Yes. That is not the fault of the story arc or the show or whatever it may be. I agree with you that losing Michael, you can't save that. No. And then they just floundered for a while. They were trying to find a different boss. I don't know the behind the scenes. I think there's been a couple books written about behind the scenes. We'd have to read that. Different reasons why it wasn't gelling. But I just think they couldn't find anyone that... I mean, listening to Office Ladies, you can see how much they admired Steve and how gentlemanly Mm -hmm. and unlike Michael, he really was and how much they all looked up to him. And I think he was the gel that held them all together. And that just, and I think it's also weird. I mean, this is kind of veering off into the office, but there's different stories about why he left. So originally people, I think he even said at first that it's because it was his choice and blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah. But I think he was being a gentleman because new things that have come out now say that NBC wanted to get rid of him. Really? Yeah. How in the world? Why in the world? I don't remember where I read this, but I remember, I don't know if it was maybe in a Facebook group for the Office Ladies podcast or somewhere, somebody has written a book with the real quote-unquote story, and they're saying that it was NBC thinking that they didn't need him anymore. Maybe he wanted too much money or something like that. And they're like, well, just, they they chose not to renew his contract. Mm -hmm. Not that he left. But they chose not to renew. Wow. Yeah. And wow. he would never talk bad about them. He, I love that man. I know. Wow. I know. I think a theme, though, that I'm kind of picking up, I think what we keep saying is when the show loses its purpose mm-hmm. or its direction, because I think he's what made the show because the whole point, the whole direction of the show was... It was almost, you could almost call it the redemption of Michael Scott. Exactly. As... as, as crass as ridiculous ridiculous as insensitive as as 
terribly inappropriate as he could be, they kept coming back to, but how much heart did he have? How much did he care about yes. people? It was the relationships. Yes. And so much of it was, as you said, kind of that redemption piece. And so when he left, they just kept trying to find a way to bring back those pieces that were just lost, mm -hmm. and they never could. Yeah, he was the... Pam and Jim, you could say, they weren't necessarily... I think that Michael was the heart of the show, because it was... The difference between him in season one and season two was enormous. Mm -hmm. He I was agree. very cruel, and un, just a lot... But then in season two and on forward, they kept showing reasons why he was the way he was. So you understood, oh, that's why Michael is this way. And you felt... you Not felt sorry for him, but you understood him a little, and you felt empathy for him. Absolutely. Well, I think we took a little bit of a, a turn there towards that. the office, but um, we, we are big office fans. We, we are. We both listen to that podcast, so yeah. so I think it was a natural little turn to take. Mm -hmm. But well, I have enjoyed talking about Jumping the Shark. Me too. I learned a lot of stuff. Well, good. That makes me happy. All right. Cheers to Arthur Fonzarelli and to Michael Scott. Cheers. This episode of Scandal Water was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown. That's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. All music was written, composed, performed, and mixed by Josh Martin. The artwork was designed by Matt C. Adams. While our website was developed by Joshua Reith. If you like what you hear and you want to help keep the scandal water brewing, please go to our website, scandalwaterpodcast.com. Just click on your podcatcher of choice, then hit follow to subscribe. And while you're there, you might as well leave us a five-star rating and review. And don't forget, it's always more fun when you share your tea with others. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandal Water are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests, advertisers, or clearly professional psychologists. Thanks for listening.